We're back into our Roman uh, sermon series, Rooting Through Romans. This will be part number 45 of the series. And today we're going to be looking at uh, Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. So we'll finish up this chapter 13 this morning, Lord willing. <clears throat> On this message, I've titled Debt and Fulfilling the Law Through Love. So there's kind of a twofold uh, message in this. Uh, I, I don't want to dwell so much on the debt part, but we are going to talk about it because that seems to be what most people want to focus on instead of what this passage is actually focusing upon. And so I want to get that covered and cleared and out of the way. Uh, too many people use this the wrong way. And so we're going to look at it there starting in uh, verse 8 of Romans chapter 13. And here the Bible says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill toward his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in riding and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. We're praying that you help us now as we try to preach. Lord, just uh, open our minds and hearts to receive your word. May it do it in mighty work today and we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last time we looked at those first seven verses, which dealt with uh, a Christian's obedience to civil government. Uh, believe it or not, for some reason, that message has gotten a lot of people listening online on our sermon audio, a lot of downloads of it. I, I don't know why. I guess just uh, simply the title about uh, Christian obedience to government has probably got some people curious. But we only preached what the Bible said about it. But here, starting in verse 8, Paul directs his attention now on our behavior with our fellow man. And uh, look at that verse 8 again. It starts out, Oh, no man anything. And so the first thing he brings up is being in debt. He says we're to owe no man anything. Now, right away, there's going to be those that want to claim, Well, this, this clearly means a Christian should not have any debt. A Christian should never take out loans, should never take out a loan with interest, and uh, they should never go in debt of any kind for any institution. And there's people out there like that. I mean, they're, they are strong-headed when it comes to this by using this little phrase right here. Oh, no man, anything. And they don't want to bother the rest of the verse. They want to just focus on that section and then run you back to the book of Psalms where it says in Psalm 37, 21, the wicked borroweth, and they want to stop there. And, and, but they don't want the rest of the verse said, and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. They'll say, see there, wicked borrow. It said in Romans that 
to owe no man anything. And, and they'll take you all around the Bible uh, explaining all these, trying to get all these verses to make you think if you borrow something from somebody, then you've committed a sin. That's just not the case. If that's the case, it makes the rest of the Bible untrue because the Lord has much to say about borrowing and lending. And it's not sinful if it's done in the right way. And so we do want to talk about this for just a little bit. See, the uh, over in Exodus 22 and 25, the Bible says, If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as an usurer, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. Now that word usury means charging interest. In other words, in God's economy, for his people, Israel, which is who he's talking to, He's telling them, if there be one of you that's poor and you loan him money, give him money because he needs money, don't charge interest. Don't treat him like you do the world. He's one of us. And so he forbid them to, to charge interest on any kind of loans or debts uh, that were out there for the Israelites uh, in Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 8. If there be any, uh, if there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother, but thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. So it's quite obvious to me that the Lord sees the need for people to need to borrow. Why would he tell us on how to lend to our fellow man if it was sinful for someone to borrow? That would just be enticing someone to sin. If somebody was poor and you say, hey, look here, <laughs> I've got some money. I'll lend it to you. That would be sinful if that was wrong. But the Lord says there's ways to do it. So they're not to charge interest to the fellow man. Now, it was set up that where if they were loaning money outside of Israel to the world or whatever, they could charge interest, and that was okay. <clears throat> Psalm 15 and 5 says, He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. So what that's saying is that man that does it right, who doesn't charge interest to his, his brother, uh, his, his fellow Christian, in, in our case, they weren't called Christians in that day, but the one that does that shall never be moved. In other words, he's righteous. He's doing what's right. Jesus says in Matthew 5.42, Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Now, wait a minute. I thought they said that borrowing was sinful. Well, Jesus says not to turn away that one that borrows. So how could it be sinful? Over in Luke 6 and 34, says, If you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. So even with the world, it's okay to lend them. In fact, the Lord here is telling us to lend there, not expecting anything back. <laughs> so borrowing 
let's say, for instance, you need a house. Is it sinful for a Christian to take out a mortgage for 30 years and pay on it? No. That's not what this is saying when it says, Oh, no man, anything. What it's actually referring to is to borrow it with the intentions of not paying it back or borrowing outside of your means to be able to pay for it. So it's, it's not sinful to borrow. You can take out a loan on a house or whatever your need is, but you must be able to pay that loan. If you take out a loan knowing you can't afford it, knowing you can't make the monthly payments, that is sinful. And so we can borrow things like that. Uh, when debt becomes sinful is knowing, I can't really afford this, but I'm going to get it anyway. And just whatever the repercussions. They come to try to repossess my car, I'll go hide. That's sinful. But if you have the money to repay a loan, and you pay it on a monthly basis, and you don't try to cheat anybody, there's nothing sinful about that. Now, going living outside of our means is sinful. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 and 7, the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is a servant to the lender. So it is true, if you get yourself in such debt, and all you're constantly doing is worrying over it, and you're not able to pay your bills, you're not able to put food on the table because you've extended yourself so far that you just you don't have the money. By the time you pay off all your debt, you can't eat, you can't provide for your family. That's sinful. And so we can, we can take out mortgages, a student loan, uh, things like that. A student loan is you're borrowing with the idea that you're going to get a better job and therefore you'll have more income. So borrowing for something, a business loan. Say a business needs to invest to be able to grow and sell their product, so they will borrow money with the intentions of this helping the business and making money and they're able to pay back. And so there's nothing wrong with that. Um, by owing no man anything, we're showing, actually the Bible says, if you look back at verse eight, Romans 13 and eight, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And so really all of this passage of scripture right here is not really focusing upon Christian debt and borrowing and, and all that. That's not the intention of this passage. The intention is that we actually uh, owe man our love. That uh, if we don't withhold our love for our fellow man. It says, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now, when it says the law, he's not meaning the Levitical law. We're not under that law. He's meaning God's moral and holy standards and laws. That's what that is, God's moral law, which we're still bound to. But some people say, well, we're not bound to any of those commandments in the Old Testament because that's the Old Covenant. Hang on. The Ten Commandments, most of those are moral laws, which we are bound to. Now, the Levitical uh, laws about eating and abstaining from certain things and all this, we're not bound to that. We're not Jews. Uh, that, that law, the Lord Jesus said he fulfilled those laws. There's no need to keep those laws. However, those moral laws, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, all these, that actually it's listed here in our next verses. There's five of the, I believe, of the Ten Commandments in these next verses. Uh, so those things we are 
obligated to uh, keep. They're still binding for us. And so he says, when we love our fellow man, that we fulfilled the law. And so that's the actual emphasis in this scripture is fulfilling the law through love. That's why I titled the message, Debt and Fulfilling the Law Through Love. So remember what Jesus said over in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 12. He says, Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Uh, we all want to be treated right. So the Bible says we're to treat others the way that we want them to treat us. You know, if you don't want to be treated badly, don't go around treating other people badly. You want somebody to treat you good, treat them good. And so we're to treat everyone the way that we expect to be treated. You know, there's some people feel like they need to be treated above and beyond everybody else. <laughs> That's not how it works either. Uh, those type of people never treat their fellow man the way they expect to be treated. So listen to what it says in James chapter 2 and verse 8. James writes, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. There is a lot uh, said in the Bible, in the New Testament, especially Jesus says, uh, about this commandment of loving our neighbor as ourselves. It's the greatest commandment. Um, in Galatians 5 and 14, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So, what does that say about us? <laughs> uh, well, if we fulfill the law, we must love our neighbors. And so now Paul, verses 9 through 10 of our text, he, he lists all these things that we're not to do against our neighbor that proves that we love them. Look at it, verse 9. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill toward his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So there's five of the Ten Commandments listed right there. And it involves how we react in this life with other people with our neighbor. And our neighbor can be anyone. It doesn't mean our next door neighbor right over here or on this side. It includes them, but it means anyone. <laughs> your neighbor is whoever, whoever you're around. And so um, Leviticus 19 and 18, even back in the Old Testament, Leviticus 19 and 18, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So this commandment has always been around. Ever since there's been a people, uh, God has made this commandment. Uh, the Lord, back in the old days in the Old Testament, he says, love thy neighbor as thyself. In, in Matthew 19 and 19, the Lord Jesus, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Let me read you one more passage what Jesus said. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Now, he's confronting the Pharisees again. And we know what happens whenever they're around. They try to, you know, uh, trip him up on the law and uh, whether or not what he says is right. And so they tried to get him to say something that defies 
God's law or even Roman law, whatever they can to try to get him. And so they come to him again, uh, Matthew 22 and 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees in silence, they were gathered together. So what's happened now, this other faction, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're, they're a little bit of the same, but they've got a little different ideology. Uh, uh, they believe different things, especially about uh, a death and the end of time and all this. But Jesus has already shut them down. They ain't got anything else they can say. And so the Pharisees, all right, he's shut them down. Now let's go after him. And it's verse 35, then one of them, which was a lawyer, imagine that. There is a lawyer there. Ask him a question, and the Bible says, tempting him. So they were doing this to him to try to get him to do something wrong. And saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? All right. So this lawyer, this this isn't really like the kind of lawyer we think of today. Well, we see them on the TV all the time. Uh, I can't even think their names right now, but they're always advertising on TV. Had a wreck called Bill Hotz and Associates or whatever. That's not this kind of lawyer. This lawyer is steeped in the laws of God. He knows all the, the laws that's been written, the Levitical laws, and all the laws they've added. The Pharisees added 600-something extra laws. He knows all these, and he comes to, to Jesus being the smartest of the group here, you know. And so he says, Master, which means teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And he goes on to say this, And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So zing again. Every time they confront Jesus and try to get him, he always zings them. And so they have nothing uh, to say against that. In fact, they're just they're struggling now to try to kill him. Uh, you know, at every opportunity. And so we find again that loving our neighbor is the fulfilling of the law. Again, God's holy moral law and standards. Not the Mosaic law, but God's holy divine moral law. And I've got to be honest with you, this is one of the hardest of all the commandments in the Bible to keep. I say that as, as myself. And if you're honest with yourself, you probably think the same thing. Do you honestly love your neighbor as yourself? What did you do when you got up this morning? Did you get up and go over to the neighbor's house and say, Hey, neighbor, you got, any, you got something to eat? Do you need any food? Can I help you with anything? No, we got up. If you're like me, you got up and you struggled for a little while and you, you got to that coffee as quick as you could because this old self needs that coffee in the morning. And uh, I never gave my neighbor one thought, never thought about him, any of them. But I thought of myself this morning. And so, uh, you know, we we will look out for number one uh, nearly always because we love ourselves an awful lot. Now, what if we had this same kind of love for our neighbors? Can you imagine what the world would be like? I mean, this world would be a, a totally different place. My kids used to play this opposite game. Today's opposite day. And so everything that was one way yesterday is opposite today. Uh, it would be the opposite 
if everyone loved their neighbor as their self. We're never going to see that until the Lord Jesus comes. And so uh, when he returns, we'll see that kind of love. All right, now go back to verse 11, back in our text, Romans chapter 13, verse 11. He goes on to say, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Now I've said my whole ministry, ever since I've been preaching, I've always said it's when the Lord comes back is closer today than it was yesterday. Every day that you live another day, you're a day closer to when the Lord comes. We don't know when that day is going to be. No man knows but the Father. The Bible tells us that clearly. And when that time comes, the Lord Jesus will come. But during that time, in the meantime, the Bible tells us right here, now is the high time. You've heard that phrase, right? It's high time that you did something. You know, my dad used that phrase a lot of times. It's high time you got yourself off that couch and out there and mowed that yard. Yeah. High time, that means immediately. It's past time. And he, it says to awake out of sleep. And I'm afraid we are asleep in this world today. Most Christians are asleep. We go through the, the, this life walking like people that are asleep. We don't know what's going on around us. We don't pay attention to what's happening. Uh, this guy over here struggling. We don't see it. We're too consumed with ourselves. Uh, Paul is always preached and taught that everything is urgent. It's immediate. It's right now. It's high time. Get up. Get off the couch and get going. So he wants us to make every minute count. Uh, look, this world is, is dying all around us. People that have never heard the gospel, that never believed in the gospel, they're dying and they're going to hell. Every second somebody's going to hell. And so it's high time that we need to awake from our sleep and get with it. Because Paul says, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. In other words, my salvation, at least the redemption of it, when the Lord redeems me, is much nearer than it was in 1972 when he saved me. And so whatever, whatever day you were saved, whatever day it is now, you're much more near now to the redeeming of your salvation than you were when you got saved. And so this time that Paul was speaking about is the time in which we live right now. It was back then, and it is now. As long as the church age or the age of grace is still uh, in existence like we're in right now, it's time. That's what it's talking about. Uh, the time that whosoever will can come. Whosoever will can come. Sorry, Calvinist, not just the Calvinists are going to be saved. It's whosoever will. And so we're in the age of grace, we're in the church age, and we're in a time that was very similar to the time of Noah. Back before the Lord destroyed the earth with water and just saved those eight people, Noah and his family, and, and saved the animals, uh, we're in such a time today. Uh, in that day, uh, Noah preached for, what was it, 100 years, 120 years? He's a preacher of righteousness, the Bible said, so no doubt he was out there every day telling people, hey, you better repent. You better turn to the Lord. You better forsake your wickedness. You better do something because the Lord's going to put an end to all this. And I'm sure they laughed and giggled and, and acted like he was the craziest old fool in the world. But I'll tell you what, when that door shut and those clouds broke out 
And for the first time in human history, rain fell from the sky in drenches and buckets. <laughs> then they wanted to believe, but it was too late. The age of grace was over. It was over. And so they never woke from their slumber in that day. I believe we're in the same condition because the Bible tells us, listen, Matthew 24, verse 37 through 39. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus tells us here that when he returns, the inhabitants of this earth are going to be acting just like they were in the days of Noah. Eating, drinking, marrying. This What this is implying is just going about everyday routine without a care in the world, without a thought about the end of time or of the day when the Lord is going to come. It's just not something that most people think about. Did you get up this morning and think this might be the day the Lord comes? I didn't. I really didn't. Uh, so Jesus says we're going to keep doing just like they were in the days of Moses, and then he's coming back. And uh, look, we carry on like there's no tomorrow, like we're not concerned about anything. There may not be a tomorrow. <laughs> the Lord may come back tomorrow. <clears throat> so Paul says it's it's high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And uh, we don't know, like I said, we don't know when the Lord's going to put an end to it, but it could be any day. Now, Paul, when he was writing to the church at Thessalonica, we know he's writing to those at Rome uh, in our studies but he wrote to the church of Thessalonica these words. Listen, 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 11. He said, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the, the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all children of light, and the children of the day we are not of the night, nor of the darkness, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet and for a hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we, we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Now, all through the Bible, uh, we're... The Bible, darkness is described as a time of evil and wickedness. Those that are in the dark are evil and wicked and sinful. We're cautioned not to be participators of this wickedness that goes on in the night. Uh, people of the light sleep at night. People of the, of, uh, the day are awake in the day and sober. People of the night are awake at night. That's when all the evil activities take place. They slumber and sleep during the day. <clears throat> so we're to always be alert and watching and wake up out of our slumber. It goes on to say in our text back in Romans uh, 13 and 12, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Now, when he says uh, the day is at hand, 
he is referring to the day of the Lord, the day when the Lord Jesus will return to rule and reign. That's what he's referring to. And he goes on into what is needed to awake from sleep. Look what he said. He said, cast off the works of darkness. He's writing this to church people. What does he mean, cast off the works of darkness? What's well, obvious, church people are participating in darkness. I mean, it's obvious. And we see that today. Christians today dabble in the darkness. Sinful things. Paul says, you better cast off that darkness. You're not a child of the dark. You're a child of the light. And so whatever you're doing is causing you to engage in sinful behavior. Cast it off. Uh, Peter said this in uh, 2 Peter 3 and 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Uh, you know, it would be horrible for the Lord to come and us in some kind of sinful, wicked activities. Can you imagine that? Back in the day, they used to, preachers used to preach against going to the movies. And they'd say, how'd you like to be sitting in the movie theater when the Lord came back? And uh, look, if you go to movies, I, I don't got a thing against that. That's fine, as long as it's not a nasty movie. <laughs> but uh, that was the way things were done back then, in that day. Um, a lot of people considered movies wicked and sinful, and a lot of them were and are. But... Uh, the simple thing, fact is, if we're engaging in sinful activity and the Lord comes, can you imagine that? how embarrassing? Uh, John writes this in 1 John 2 and 28. He said, Now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. He's right to save people, too. And so it's obvious that as saved people, as Christians, We'll dabble and deal in darkness and wickedness and sinful activities. Uh, the Bible says, listen, we need, to, we need to wake up. Get out of your slumber. Cast off that darkness. Put on the light. And notice it keeps talking about putting it on. Paul wrote in, in our opening text there, and let us put on the armor of light. Cast off the darkness and put on the armor of light. What does that tell you? That means we must make a conscience effort to do this. Look, when you get saved, it's not like you're all of a sudden perfect. You don't, you don't automatically stop being sinful. Sure, you're saved. You're a new creature, but that's your saved new man. That's the new you inside. You still got the old man. You still got the old thoughts. You still got the wickedness. And so we will sin. Paul says, look, you better put on the armor of light. When you wake up from your sleep, cast off that darkness, put on this armor of light. Now, Paul often speaks of our spiritual state in terms of, of armor or putting on clothes and things. A soldier, he writes in Ephesians 6 and 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then he lists off those six pieces of the armor. We all know what those are. Now, we, went, we had that Bible school uh, that time, and I made up a little song about, uh, I'm a soldier. Yeah. Uh, the loins girt with truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. These are all spiritual pieces of armor that we must consciously make an effort to put on. I can't open a closet door and go in there and grab my spiritual armor 
and say, all right, hang on a minute. Before I come out, I'm going to have to put on my armor. And so I start putting it on a little piece of time and, you know, walking around with, it doesn't work that way. We, it must be a, a spiritual thing that we do. Uh, we do it in prayer, uh, realizing uh, that God wants us to live in a way, a certain way. And the only way we can do that is if we're shielded and we, we use the Lord for that. And so all these spiritual pieces of armor, they're always saying, put it on or take it off. So it's conscience that we must do. All right, we'll finish up here. Look at verses 13 and 14, Romans 12, 13 and 14. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Now, all these things listed should be obvious to the born-again believer. The Holy Spirit should be alerting us any time that we're in some kind of sinful uh, condition, sinful situation. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, and we know it. And it should be our desire not to want to engage in sinful activity. If, you, if it doesn't bother you to sin, then you're most likely not saved. Because the Holy Spirit will, uh, he will, he will shake you, he will, he will um, convict you. That's what he does. And so, sadly, a lot of people who claim to be a Christian live no differently than the rest of the world. You can't tell a Christian apart today. Now, I'm not saying we've got to wear long dresses down to the floor and, and wear your hair. Those women that wear their hair up in a certain way with a bun or something, and they think that makes them holy. That makes them no more holier than, than a, a, a wad of dirt outside. Uh, look, it's, it's the way that we live. It's our spiritual condition. It's our heart. And we must allow the Holy Spirit to dictate our actions, our motives, our thoughts, uh, everything that we do. And he tells us from right from wrong. Now, we all have a conscience. Even if people that are not saved have a conscience, uh, most of them are seared. Most of them are wicked. And so they don't know right from wrong like a Christian, but we have the Holy Spirit who allows us to discern between right and wrong, evil and good, and we must listen to him. Have uh, you noticed how everything in the world, like I was talking about earlier, is reversed? It's the opposite now. What used to be good now is considered bad. What uh, used to be right is now considered wrong. Uh, what used to be truth is now false. Uh, things have flip-flopped from what they used to be. It's, it's the mentality and the sinfulness of the world that has infiltrated into even Christians and the church and has is, is started making Christians think like the world thinks. Uh, we're pushing the, the, the sound of the Holy Spirit away and listening more to the world because it pleases the flesh. See, the world will try to tell you all kinds of things. Oh, you... <laughs> If you want to, if you want to get a lot of comments on Facebook, if you want to get a lot of people involved in your conversation, just mention tattoos, and you'll see what I mean. Brother James uh, uh, shared something yesterday from another pastor and uh, about how tattoos were wrong, and he, he gave all these lists. Oh my goodness! You talk about opening up a hole that can never be filled of just. 
I mean, it's, it's crazy. And so if you want, <laughs> I'm telling you, things are different today. Now, uh, Christians have bought into this lie that if you live a holy, clean in life and do what's morally right, that you're being pharisaical. Oh, you're, you're like those Pharisees were. The way you're living, you think you're perfect. Everybody's got to be perfect. What's happened is too many people listen to these rock star preachers that get on the TV or whatever and sell all these books and tell them all this, you know, that they they need to, they don't need to worry about that, that they're forgiven and God's grace will allow you to do this or that or whatever you want, that we should, the church should act more like the world and look like the world and, and offer the world's things so that we can draw them in and lead them to Jesus. Jesus never did that. That's not, that's not how he, uh, instituted the gospel and, and how to share it. It was never to identify or to uh, um, replicate the world to get the world in. It never has been that way. Uh, the church should look and act different than the world. There should be a vast difference. People should be able to see the difference between a Christian and those that are lost. They should see the difference in a Christian environment and setting, a congregation that's there to worship the Lord and, and hear the word word from the Lord than to go into a nightclub or a bar or anything like that. So it's obvious this mentality uh, has not made the church any better and it's made the world worse because the church has become weak. Its foundations are crumbling and the world now looks at the church as something to laugh at, to mock. Without the influencing factor of the holy and righteous church in this world, we'll see it continually go downhill and eventually slip right into hell. Uh, the world needs an example to look to. They need holiness. They need righteousness. They need to know that there is an answer for all their misery, for all their pain, for all their suffering, for all the nastiness that's down in their heart. They need to know there is a place. There is a place where they can go. There's someone they can reach to, and that's the Lord Jesus, and they can do that through the church. Instead of looking at Hollywood for an example, uh, or on social media, look toward the Lord Jesus and the church. That's the way it should be. All right, we're going to stop there. And Lord willing, next Sunday, I think we're, is next Sunday Mother's Day or is it, no, it's two Sundays from now. And then uh, I believe on the 15th, we'll be at Northside preaching for them. So uh, be, be in prayer for that. But uh, next Sunday, we should be able to get into chapter 14 and a whole lot more good stuff left, left, left in these last three chapters. And I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I don't know yet what we're going to start after this Roman study, but the Lord will direct us somewhere, and we'll, uh, it'll be good. doesn't matter where it's from, it's good. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the message today. Lord, thank you for the truths of your word. Lord, may we always remember it, Lord, to make a conscience effort, Lord, to live like children of the light and not of the night. God, help our church to stand up in this wicked and cruel and sinful world and be a shining example to those that are lost. God, that they can know there is a, there's a place, there's a way out. Lord, there's, there's hope for the future.